This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, a first flight for the second version of Stratos. And find out about the MOAG, mother of all cubs. It has three seats. Also, cancellations from COVID. Yes, we're doing that again. And we're going to find out more about a helicopter and a drone. Finally, some good news. EAA is celebrating the spirit of aviation with a week of fun. Speaking of fun, Ian, are you ready to do Hangar Talk 101? Let's do it. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, 1056, turn right, heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, turn right, turn right. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. All right, so David, our guest this week is John Kotwicki. Folks may know him as either Fly 8MA or Flight MA or any one of these things. He does some online ground schools, which we'll find out come with a little bonus. And John came over to the AOP headquarters and spent some time with us. We got to know him real well. And he's got a good heart. He's a great CFI. We're going to find out a little bit more about what he does at Fly. And I call it Fly 8 Mike Alpha. So we'll find out. We'll find out from John what it is. Okay, cool. Let's get to the news. The Stratos. Now, uh, we, I think, probably talked about this a couple of years ago because you and I both saw it at Oshkosh. There's a new version. This is a kit-built jet, believe it or not. That's a real thing, a kit-built jet. This is the Stratos 716X, and it made its first flight. It did, Ian, and now it came out of the Stratos 714, which is the jet that we saw at AirVenture in 2017. And I think the interesting thing about this, Ian, is the fact that the company listened to a lot of pilots, and they tweaked this jet, and they added two seats and more capability. And I think that's the story behind the 716 and the 716X. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so they what they did is they they increased the length by four and a half feet. That's pretty significant. You can imagine what that would do for the flight characteristics. They widened the cabin by two inches, so a little bit, and they kept the engine. And they say, even despite that, and despite the capacity, that it will cruise at 400 knots. Part of that is they they went through piece by piece by piece and shed hundreds of pounds. They said, and you're looking at at least five people and a lot of luggage, thanks to that weight reduction effect and the engineering but ian i gotta be honest with you it's a 2.5 million dollar home built project and at, at some point the certified version which is years away according to jim moore who wrote the story it'll that'll retail for 3.5 million you and i were talking off show i'm i'm curious who's gonna buy this yeah yeah no i mean this is uh it's kind of a funny thing because we say home build but i mean this is not like a, you know an RV8 where you're not you know, going to do it in your garage. No, no, you are not. They're they're not going to send you a bunch of metal and you're you know going to do some riveting in your garage. No, you you go to them. This is Builder Assist. They have sophisticated manufacturing. This is kind of a new idea with the kit built world, but it's pretty interesting. You essentially press go, you know, on some of their CNC machines and autoclaves and other stuff, 3D printing. And a lot of this is machine built, but you're involved in the process and that's how they're able to say it's home built. But yeah, it's two and a half million bucks for a home built jet. I mean, you talk about pressure vessel and other stuff. This is a very complicated build. 
It is. Now, the one thing that I would say that would be kind of interesting as a pilot and as a former airplane owner myself is that I would like to know much more about the systems in my airplane. And this would definitely gives you that background. So you would know everything about it. And, you know, when you're flying in the flight levels like that, Ian, it certainly would pay to know about every bit of engineering going into that airplane. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. But how what I mean, if this, you know, comes to pass and they really do start, you know, working with people to build these things, how think about how cool that is. Like, I mean, you that seems like a childhood dream, right? It's like you put together a model, essentially, you know, a really, really sophisticated model and you get to go fly it at 400 knots in the flight levels. I just think that I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun. And I'm, you know, maybe sign me up for that at some point in the future. But I tell you what, (laughs) something that's closer to Earth and closer to me is uh, the next story I talk about, the mother of all cubs. Yeah, this is interesting. This is from American Legend Aircraft Company. And if you recall, they came on the scene in 2005 with a with a new Piper Cub, the original mm-hmm. kind of Piper Cub with the cylinders hanging out, things like that. But uh, and that's an 80 year old design. But there is now a three seat version of a Piper Super Cub, and to me that is big news. Yeah, this this thing is really cool. Yeah, so the mother of all cubs, the Moac, as I understand it, and and you know you wrote this story, so you know a little bit more about it. But this is uh, essentially an option that they've been adding on kind of one you know their beefed up Cub. Now this is now come out as kind of its standalone product. So yeah, up to three seats, or you can have 180 pounds of luggage, which is, I mean, you think of a Cub airframe, it's like, you know, you're putting in, I don't know, deer or something. It's like to to be able to hold 180 pounds in that small space. Yeah, well, that's true. Now, look, the space is a little bit bigger because they built in a turtle deck for that area, for for the area in the fuselage and a couple of other uh, access points as well. So the point is, this is a really capable backcountry airplane not only is it short takeoff and, and landing, you know, not only is it a stall specialist, but you could actually put a litter. And a, by litter, I mean like an air ambulance litter in the back there. So it could really be helpful for backcountry operations in Alaska and Canada, you know, the American West, that kind of thing. So I do see the versatility aspect of it. Yeah, that's a good point. So the other things they've done, leading edge slats, lots of really, really cool, like tuner kind of stuff, you know, flapperons. They've got these really, really beefy, they call it the shock monster, nitrogen, oleo strut. So there's all kinds of things on here that are going to make it, uh, you know, a true performer, I think, in what's becoming a really crowded field of these, you know, sort of backcountry beasts. Now, you got to pay for it, though. I mean, you're talking, it's north of north of 200 grand. It is. And now the, uh, the, the American Legends, basically their version of the Super Cup, the AL-18, starts at about 175000 bucks. And th- this model is about 215000 and on up to two sixty. I talked to American Legend President Darren Hart. He was a great guy on the phone, by the way. And kudos to him for bringing this to the market. Now, the, this airplane also, look, Ian, it has the performance specs that back up you know, the price, you're talking about 40 gallons of fuel to carry the, the extra baggage and all, and a real beefy engine too. The engine has, you know, north of 200 horsepower for a short period of time. And it allows this airplane, Darren said, this airplane can take off in its own length, which is 22.5 feet if the conditions allow. And and you mentioned something about short takeoff and landing. That is such a popular thing to do now. And we saw a version of this airplane at the AOPA flying in Frederick last year. And that was before it was announced. You know, it's sort of like, hey, we're going to do something cool and bring this airplane. And since then, seven builder assist airplanes of the Moak version have been made. So it's out there. Mm. And then one other person is making it at home, you know, as a kit built. Oh, wow. But so we should, yeah, we should point out this is a kit built airplane, a builder assist, just as you talked about with a Stratus. So, uh, same concept. Yeah. So I, I will say, you know, you led with the the whole three seat thing. And it is true. I mean, I was reading your story, you know, and I'm going through and it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. This is a really cool airplane. And then you hit the photo and you're, you do this double take because you're like, wait a second, what? There's three people sitting in tandem in this cub. It's so cool. So yeah, you got to, you got to check it out. I, you know, whether or not people are going to bring, you know, two buddies along, who knows, but it's really, really cool and very creative. So 
I think that's going to be a winner for them. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. I would hope that I could fly it one day, so yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. There you go. Hey, let's talk about, you know, unfortunately, we have to bring this up every couple of weeks. These are the COVID cancellations. Obviously, this is happening in everybody's life right now, but especially here in aviation. So a couple of big, big things that are going to be put off until next year. The first one's NBAA. I mean, this is their flagship show. It's a big deal to that organization. Unfortunately, they have postponed it until next year. That was to be held in in October in Orlando. And that cancellation, Ian, brought another cancellation along with it. Our own AOPA Bob Hoover Awards, which had been postponed from March over here in Washington, D.C. We were going to present those in October at the NBAA show in Orlando, but that has been also canceled for this year as well. Yeah. Another one that uh, I think is a big thing that a certain sector of aviation looks forward to, and that's the fly-in in Greenville, Maine, the seaplane fly-in at Moosehead Lake. That's always in September. That will be put off until 2021. And closer to me in the southeast is the uh, Triple Tree Aerodrome. It's a very popular airfield. It's basically 7,000 feet of turf grass, and they had several aviation events in late summer and early fall and basically through the end of the year they are all canceled or postponed basically until 2021 so that includes the triple tree fly-in the joe Nall in the fall week-long rc radio control event that's been postponed to 2021 the heli extravaganza was moved to october 2021 and they had already postponed the young aviators fly-in and that is also next june yeah that it is really a shame and you know Obviously, I think we're going to keep seeing this probably through the end of the year. We'll see about next year. But, you know, bigger and better next year, right? Like we keep talking about. It's like, you know, people, they, they're going to be itching for something to do. So hopefully we'll see everybody out in force next year. That's right. We look forward to that. Yeah. Another story here that I think is really interesting is the, the NTSB. Now, we have heard about drone strikes on aircraft and, and lots of uh, reports of this. Very few confirmations. And it turns out now that the NTSB has said that a collision between a drone and a helicopter did in fact occur last December. And and that is big news. It is. And if folks will remember, this was a news helicopter that uh, thought it had been struck by a drone or basically flew into a drone. Right off the bat, let's let folks know that there haven't been any injuries or quote-unquote substantial damage to the manned aircraft involved in this. But this is one of the first times that we've got confirmation of a, of a drone slash aircraft mix-up. Yeah, and man, helicopters, I mean, you know, in fact, this drone, in fact, it hit the, uh, you know, the tail, and then they said put a gouge in the tail rotor. And if you have felt some of these tail rotors on these helicopters, they are incredibly light. Obviously, they're strong because, you know, they're made to be strong, and, and they're meant to have, you know, millions of revolutions over their lifetime. But it hitting the tail rotor with a drone is, it's like every helicopter pilot's worst nightmare. I mean, it is freaky stuff. Ian, uh, you're a helicopter pilot. Can you explain that to us fixed wing pilots a little bit? You know, I've only got a few hours in a helicopter, but that this is like a very critical piece of, of equipment here to keep safe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's like, you know, you can imagine on an airplane, it's something hitting the prop, right? And you think, oh boy, that could be bad news because obviously it can you know, you can take out one blade and then you get this really bad imbalance, you know, it can stop the engine, whatever, right? But you've got this, you know, you then you can glide and hopefully find a safe place to land. Yep, glide to a landing or an off-airport landing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if the tail rotor goes out, it is like an immediate emergency. And um, you can imagine you're just flying along, you're flying over the city, and it's like, bam, this thing hits your tail. That's bad news. you got to be on your game to, to be able to deal with something like that. So so does the, the fuselage of the helicopter start spinning around in another in the opposite direction of the of the blades or like what happens? I mean, because you've got that tail rotor to provide that that stability, that mm -hmm. that forward movement yeah. you know, to keep you you know running straight ahead. So what happens? Yeah, well, if you're going fast enough, interestingly, you know the vertical stabilizer on helicopters will provide a lot of yaw stability. So if you're going fast enough, you know, if you're in cruise, it will provide some yaw stability and, you know, you'll have a little bit of time to help deal with this. But of course, as soon as you start to slow down, you add more power, you get more torque. That's that, you know, that spin, right? Right. And so dealing with the landing in those cases can be quite tricky. Obviously, pilots are trained to deal with it and everything else, but it's like most people never, never see that in their lifetime. And so, 
like I said, you got to be on your game because of that. Thank you for explaining that, Ian. I really appreciate that. And I think our, our hangar talk listeners will too. One thing that stuck out in my mind about this was the height that this occurred at. Mm, it was at 11, 1100 feet AGL at the time of impact. This is near LA, but the deal is that the drones can fly up to 400 feet above a structure. Yes. Provided they remain within 400 feet laterally of said structure. And there are skyscrapers and tall buildings that could be over 400 feet. So yeah. to me, that when I first read that, I was thinking, well, wait a minute. There's a 400 foot limit on flying a drone. What happened? Yeah. So just a little bit further explanation delves into the fact that, yes, you could it could be above 400 feet AGL. Yeah. Still be legit. Yeah, that's a great point. I had no idea. In fact, I that was my first thought too, is like the helicopter is apparently, like you said, at like 1100. And I thought, oh, well, drone pilots clearly in the wrong here. But yeah, I had no idea you could fly 400 feet above a structure. I mean, it makes sense if you're doing survey work and other stuff, but definitely something to think about for those helicopter operators who are flying over cities. And I think we're going to see more of this as we, as we share the airspace with EVTOLs, electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, and, and things like that that are coming to the future. We know this is going to happen. You know, we really have to be more cognizant of this. And that, to me, is one thing that we really need to be vigilant about. And that, to me, also goes back to regulation and sharing the airspace and how will the infrastructure help keep things safe. And by the infrastructure, I mean the airspace infrastructure, because everyone's got to play by the same rules or we got big problems. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. Hey, let's end on a high note. So as you know, talking about cancellations, something that we told you about a couple months ago, EAA obviously had to cancel AirVenture this year. A lot of people are very sad about that, of course, but they have been sort of scheming in the background, trying to figure out what to do to help bring folks together during that same AirVenture week, which would have been the week of uh, kind of the third week in July. And so EA has come up with something they're calling Spirit of Aviation Week, and it's all online. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's going to be cool. You know, I'm looking forward to uh, participating in that. I think a lot of pilots are just craving that camaraderie and learning a little bit more about skills. You know, and EAA was also very popular with how-to forums, live aircraft building workshops, interviews, discussions, that kind of thing. All of this stuff will be included in Spirit of Aviation Week, but it'll be virtual this year instead of actually on the grounds at Oshkosh. Yeah. And Jack Pelton, their, you know, their chairman and CEO has said that uh, they've worked really hard to make it across, you know, Oshkosh, it's like you get everything from warbirds and ultralights and helicopters and all of it. Right. And so they said they've worked really hard to bring everybody together, including the Air Force and NASA. They're both going to participate. And AOPA is also going to have a presentation that you won't want to miss. It's called 60 Seconds to a Perfect Landing. It's on July 25th at 1.30 to 3 Central Time, Ian. And our AOPA You Can Fly Academy leaders will, and if you haven't listened to them or participated in a, in a Don't Get Rusty Pilot seminar, this group is pretty fun to watch and interact with. But I highly recommend people bookmarking that time period and joining our group or 60 seconds to a perfect landing. Yeah, so check out the AOPA website, EAA website. They'll have schedules, more information. Again, that's the 21st through the 25th. And also, if you want to keep your learning going, maybe get more in-depth, great place to do that is with John Kotwicki, our guest this week. So really excited to bring him on and hear more about the stuff he's doing to support the community. Welcome to Hangar Talk, Jonathan Kotwicki. You're here in Frederick, Maryland at AOPA headquarters, and it's in the wintertime. i got to let our podcast listeners know, and we're glad to have you. Yeah, no, it's great to be here, and uh, weather's not too bad, really. It's better than Alaska. so That's right. Well, let's uh, a little bit more about your background, John. So folks who don't know you, they're able to get in touch with you through Fly 8 Mike Alpha, and you are a an instructor, yes, right? And you are now flying across the country. You have a, you have a nice social media following. You have a very robust website. You're flying across the country from Alaska. You made it all the way to the East Coast, 
and we grounded you for two days due to weather. <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, really last year we had started this trip, the idea to fly to all 50 states. And last year we flew from Anchorage down to Florida all the way to the Bahamas and then back up to Anchorage, hit a number of states. And, and this year we are traveling around the northeast, kind of hitting the east coast, eastern states here. And we've made our way already from Oshkosh, from Wisconsin, all through Michigan, Pennsylvania, up into uh, Ohio and Maine. And now we're working our way south, trying to get south uh, as the weather is getting worse and trying to avoid the snow that we uh, woke up to this morning. Someone from Alaska here complaining about the weather. It's just a little unusual. So folks who, who aren't yeah. <laughs> folks who aren't here with us this week, we started with some a uh, massive amount of rainfall here in uh, Frederick, Maryland. And then we had a dusting of snow this morning. Uh, here we are, and we're in we're in early December. Now you ma- you made it from Alaska here to the East Coast, yep. And you are in a beautiful airplane, a silver and red aircraft. Now, tell us about the airplane. So the airplane is a uh, Bearhawk Patrol. So it's a uh, home built aircraft. It's a kit. And they build the kits down in Mexico. They assemble them there. They import them into Texas. You can buy them from uh, Bearhawk Aircraft down there. And we didn't build it. Uh, somebody else spent, you know, a few years building this airplane. They say about a thousand man hours goes into building one. And overall, really impressed. It's a two seat aircraft, right? 180 horsepower, okay. kind of like a Super Cub would be the easiest way to explain it. But it's a Super Cub with a metal wing would be how I would describe it. Now, isn't the company coming out soon with a four passenger? version of that aircraft yeah so they actually they have a four passenger version they've got the tandem super cub you know two-seat version that we're flying the patrol and now they're coming out with another one which is a two-seat side by side oh that's correct yeah. and in fact ian and i talked about that on the hangar talk so it's side by side instead of front and back gotcha exactly, that's gonna be yeah. the new model okay yep yeah, so uh, overall, you know, I really enjoy tandem seating. I like it, but I can understand why people like side-by-side, and certainly if you really like the person you're flying with, you may like the side-by-side better than the tandem. Also, just for, for loading the aircraft, uh-huh. for baggage and everything, once, you know, we put two people in the airplane and put, you know, a lot of baggage in the back, the airplane will carry quite a bit, but you're putting all your heavy stuff in the back because there's nowhere to put it up front. Without a belly pod, you know, putting all that weight in the very far back, you're you're getting to a pretty far aft CG. It makes the aircraft a lot less stable. Very stable airplane, you know, with uh, with just one or two people in it. You start putting two people in it and a lot of baggage in there, you notice it. And that's just the downside to any tandem aircraft, any Cub, any uh, Champ's going to have that same issue. Now, in this Bearhawk, sticks, not yoke, right? Correct, yeah. So stick, stick and rudder with tow brakes up front, controllable pitch prop, constant speed prop. It's a Hartzell Carbon Trailblazer, which pulls really hard. We don't have any hard numbers on the static thrust on it, but we do know at least some hard numbers for takeoff. Just myself with a little bit of fuel in there, getting off in about 130 feet. Man, that's like stall takeoff capability for yeah. sure. Super short takeoff and landing. Yeah, so we're going to try to uh, get that down to under 100 feet. And then the landing, best landing I've had in it so far has been about 200 feet with no wind, 203 feet. So we're going to try to get that down too because that's okay, but it's good. I mean, it's really good. But, you know, as far as Valdez goes. I was going to uh, ask you if you participate in that. Well, you know, I never have. And it's been a, a dream for a long time. So obviously, you know, you need the right aircraft, you need the right skills. And as we're flying around, we're flying a lot. You're developing those skills. Developing those skills, pushing it, and uh, trying to to train myself uh, to get ready for that. Makes sense. Now, this is a VFR aircraft, or does it have IFR capabilities? Well, it's a VFR aircraft, and it's got a nice panel on it, but legally not IFR. And uh, certainly we, you know, for the sake of keeping our flights not too eventful, we try to stay clear of anything that might get us into IFR. Oh, that makes sense. And we have had some, like we mentioned at the top of the the show, we've had some uh, instrument conditions here this week, which is not unusual. And there's a lot of wind today, too. It's a pretty day today. But there's a lot of wind and in a tail drag or aircraft. That's another thing we got to be really careful about. Makes it exciting, yeah. That uh, we forty, fig- yes. yeah. We figured out about uh, twenty knots is the max crosswind limit on that airplane. It's just not possible to land it in anything more than that uh, with a twenty knot crosswind component. You know, if you see that, there's not enough rudder and brake authority to keep the aircraft going straight on rollout. So you could have more wind than that possibly. But the crosswind component is definitely limited to about 20 knots. Gotcha. Well, we got a little bit of uh, background about the aircraft. Now, I want to find out a little bit more about you. And you and I talked a little bit about this yesterday when you came up and we were looking around. That you actually were 
I don't want to say you were stationed here in the Virginia area, but you actually had a job here as a corporate pilot, as a commercial pilot, rather, yep. uh, here in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Take us through how you got started in aviation. Sure. And, and, and lead us up to what we're doing here with Fly 8 Mike Alpha. Absolutely, yeah. So the start of it all was back in 2012 finally had the time and money to do it, right? It just takes a little bit of time and money. And, and luckily, you know, there's things like that AOPA does, with scholarships that can help on the money side. I'm glad um, you mentioned it there. And last year we had we had many, many scholarships. We gave out 100 scholarships last year. Yeah, and that's awesome. That Unfortunately, you guys weren't uh, so so gracious with Not those when I was Not back in 2012, starting. right. No. <laughs> but uh, overall, it was something that was affordable because I went through a flying club. So I got through my private for right around the 6000 some dollar mark. That's good. Flying a 152. Got my license, you know, around 42 hours or so, I think is what I had in my logbook when I got it. That is pretty, that's a pretty short time to get one in these days. I think I was around 57. Yeah, uh, I really didn't know how much I didn't know at 42 hours hours. Yeah. yeah. You just, you know, great, wonderful. You get it at 40 hours, but there's a lot of stuff you're missing. That you'll find out one way or another. Now, where where did you learn? What part of the country? Learned in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. So, wonderful flying club up there. University of Michigan Flyers is uh, where I did my private and then my instrument with that flying club as well. Pretty affordable to do it that way. It is. I'm glad you mentioned it. So, a flying club is a good way for people getting started in aviation to kind of try to keep costs down. And a 152 is also a pretty reasonably priced aircraft for that. Yeah. Back then, it was $78 an hour is what I was paying for the aircraft wet. And uh, I want to say it was about 50 bucks an hour for the instructor. Really great club, really great camaraderie, and a great place to learn because it's uh, you can learn a lot from each other as you're going through uh, that sort of an environment. Yeah, so we did private instrument there, and then I got to the point where I was ready for my commercial. They didn't have a retractable gear aircraft at the time. And at the time, we didn't have this new rule in effect. Now you can use an advanced. You can use an advanced trainer. Basically, you can use a technically advanced aircraft. It doesn't have to be a retractable gear aircraft to attain your commercial. Yeah. Right. And so back then, I did. And so for my commercial, my CFI went over to Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti, Michigan, one of the strangely spelled towns I've ever visited. Pretty good school there. Nice 141 school, but was able to do my training Part 61 through them to get my commercial, get my CFI uh, using a 172RG. Oh, that's a good airplane. I was partners yeah. in. in a group that had a 172 RG. Yeah, so I uh, had a fun time flying that. I uh, hit the 250, got the commercial, and uh, not long after that, decided, hey, you know, I really want to be instructing my own. I was fortunate enough, I had already purchased a 172 to help me build some of my time to hit 250. A little bit more affordable if you own your own aircraft. What or, model 172? Oh, like, what year one? model? Oh, man, that was a 62C model, oh, an I early believe. One. Yes. So did it have, like, manual flaps? Oh, yeah, big okay. Johnson bar flaps, 40, yeah, okay. 40 flap. Actually, I wish I had that airplane back because the old ones are lightweight. They got the manual flaps, 40 degrees, and great stole airplanes. Yeah. So uh, anyways, yeah, flew that for a while, started teaching in it, had a little bit of a flight school that we did, set up my own uh, scenic tour company, got an LOA through FISDO, to do it all right and do scenic tours with that aircraft. All right, now I'm going to stop you right there. LOA is a letter of authorization. Yes. FISDO is the FAA's district office. Yes, Flight Standards District Office. So that's your local FAA headquarters. And uh, luckily enough, they were there in Ypsilanti, Michigan at Willow Run Airport. They helped me out with that LOA, which is basically an authorization for you to conduct scenic tours. Okay. And so at 22 years old, I was... I own my own scenic tour company that, through Groupon and Living Social, sold a lot of tours for fall color tours and Christmas light tours. How nice. Now, did you grow up in Michigan? Is that where this tied in, or did no, you just I, happen to move there? I grew up in Florida, and that is why I ah. still uh, wear so many layers, although I technically live in Alaska now. You're looking at me now wearing this big heavy coat, and it's because I was born and raised in Florida. Oh, I got you. Yeah, you got your your phone has got like a Florida area code. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the area code keeps me warm. So so you're up in Michigan. You got a you got a scenic tour company going. Yep. You got this cool airplane, and you're building time, and you're a young guy. Yeah. And one of the reasons I got into flight instruction is I was not unhappy with the flight instruction I received, but I. I guess I looked at it and I thought it could be done better. And that was the reason why once I got the commercial, I went on to get the CFI and I said, hey, you know, guys are doing this. I think I can do a little bit better and be a better teacher, a better instructor. And I think there's some different methods we could use to try to teach people. And I said, hey, you know, we got these GoPro cameras. It's fun to take some videos of your flights. Maybe I'll go ahead and make some instructional videos with GoPro cameras. And that idea kind of 
percolated in my head for actually a number of years, you know, and it was after uh, I got really serious about aviation, I uh, left my job with the University of Michigan. That was initially what brought me up there and pursued aviation full time, opened a flight school in Florida and had these students coming in with the same questions on every single lesson I found. So I said, hey, why don't I just make some videos to answer this instead of billing them for ground time? Why don't I just make a video and I'll email it to them? And now I don't have to bill them 50 bucks an hour to sit here and tell them. So we said, so okay. you're giving them videos for free. Well, yeah. And I thought, you know, hey, I'll make my money on the aircraft rental and on the instruction time flying with them. And instead of spending 45 minutes briefing before a lesson with them, I'll spend 15 or 20 minutes briefing. They'll have adequate information from the video I email them coming in. I'll get to bill more in the airplane. So in the end, you know, I'll still I'll still be able to eat. I'll still make money. So there's here. a trade-off there. You're preparing them ahead of time. This mm-hmm. is a novel approach. For folks who are listening on Hangar Talk, this was a novel approach, right? You're giving them some resources ahead of time Mm -hmm. and boosting their confidence. They're going to come into the lesson prepared. Yes. And now you have to spend a little bit less time with them so you can actually go through more students. Exactly. Yeah. So it's saving them money in the end. I'm making less money off that student, but I was able to accommodate more students into my schedule. And so at the end of the day, I was still making the same. And, uh, you know, you can't email a, a big video file these days. So, well, you put it on YouTube and you email them a link. And so these YouTube videos that I started making really were just for my own students to try to help save them a little bit of money and make their flight training a little bit higher quality and make that difference that I saw that wasn't there for me in my flight training experience. We put this stuff out on YouTube and it turned out YouTube didn't just send it to my students, you know, other people found it too. And that was really the birth of Fly 8 Mike Alpha, the brand that we have now, this channel that was designed to have videos on there that would prepare you for flight training, prepare you before your lesson. So you'd come in more ready for it and ultimately save time and money throughout flight training. Everybody wants to save time and money, especially with flight training. Certainly. And you still offer free courses even now today. So as I uh, was running that flight school and we were making all these videos down there in Florida, somebody came along and said, hey, I'd like to buy your flight school. And I said, hey, you know, I'm ready for a change of pace. I've been instructing for a number of years, and I decided to go try the airlines. So I went to the regional airlines, became a first officer for PSA Airlines based in uh, Washington Reagan Airport, DCA. Really fun flying in and out of there. And while I was in the hotels on the overnights, I'm not really much to go to the bar and drink. So I sat in the hotel by myself with my laptop, and I put together all these videos, kept making instructional videos for people. Because I, I felt a little bad leaving all my students to go to the airlines. Because you already had a following. Yeah, we had a following right. on social media, and we had a following of students in the local area that said, hey, I want to learn to fly with you, and all of a sudden I wasn't available to do. They my... were kind of dependent on you. Yeah, and I felt bad about leaving. So I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what. We'll we'll keep making these videos anyways that will help you. So regardless of who you're training with, hopefully these videos can prepare you well, and we'll organize them all into a website. And we ended up creating a free private pilot ground school that still exists today. It's still totally free. You can go on flyatmikealpha.com, click on the free course, and navigate through it, go through all 20 lessons, take the quizzes, do all that stuff totally for free. And we we don't charge you anything. You can donate to it. Or if you need the endorsement for your written exam, then we do charge you something for that. But you can always get that from your CFI, too. So you can get your entire private pilot ground school for free to prepare you for the written and prepare you for flight training and definitely save you time and money that in the process. That is amazing, man. This is a really novel approach to get people going. And like we said a minute ago, at AAPA is a big proponent of this. We, we really need more people to learn how to fly. We want the flying environment in the community to, to build upon itself. And this seems like a, a really good way to get things going. Yeah, it's. I mean, it. We're doing what we can, right? And and you try a number of different approaches, and some work, and some don't. And and this approach is really working. And we've tried a number of different initiatives. I tried giving away scholarships myself when we had the flight school. We found that that didn't necessarily do as much as just giving away the material through online courses to people that were really seeking it. We saw a lot of kids come in, receive scholarship money, and and not finish flight training. And so then we figured out, hey, you know, well, we're better off, you know, that approach didn't work. Let's try a different one. Let's, let's give people money towards advanced ratings. Let's give it towards tail training or proficiency or spin training. So if I if I join here, mm-hmm. I'm already a private pilot, but if I click on uh, fly8mikealpha.com, I'll go ahead and click on join here. Yep. That's going to enable me to o- open myself up to some of your curriculum. Absolutely, yeah. And so if you join on the website, there is a, there's a number of different o- membership options where you, you know, you'll obviously build a monthly fee for whichever courses you want access to. But there's four courses on there that are free, two of them that are most important. The private pilot course is free. You don't have to register or log in for it. You can start taking that course totally for free. And then the spin training course, spin awareness course, is on there for free as well. It's about 45 to 60 minutes of material in there that whether you're a student pilot 
an experienced private pilot, a commercial pilot, a CFI, we don't go through spin training that often. We talk about it a little bit in private. We talk about it a little bit in commercial. We, we make you, you know, get a little spin training as a CFI candidate. But it's something that kills people regularly. Just- well, it's not a requirement now like it mm-hmm. used to be. And I, and I should let, let the Hangar Talk listeners know. And in fact, in fact, long-time listeners know that I actually did that at the end of my private training. And voluntarily, I went with Dave Hirschman, who is our editor-at-large here. He and I used to work together in Atlanta. And we went up in a decathlon, a super decathlon, and we did some spin training. And I wanted to know more about it. I wanted that awareness, and I wanted to, to understand more about it. And I really like doing some of the maneuvers as well. Now, I'm not anywhere near your level or his level or anything like that, but it's great to have that awareness and to know what's going on. Certainly, yeah, and I really encourage people, go on that website, go on our website, flyatmikehealth.com, go on the spin training course, and, and use that course every two, three months. Just review it. I know it gets old after the 10th time, but review it. Keep it fresh in your mind. You never know when this is going to happen to you. And if you ask the 10 or 15 guys that are dying every year from stall spin accidents, they didn't think it was going to happen to them either. But trying to stay proficient, and that's one of the hardest things, right? We get our license, and then what do we have a reason to fly for? A $100 hamburger, or there's a fly-in to go to. But trying to stay proficient, and it costs money to stay proficient. So at least in this way, we're trying to, our brand, Flight Mike Elvis, trying to say, hey, this is a free option to maintain your proficiency. AOPA, through the Air Safety Institute, offers a ton of free options to maintain proficiency. Accident case studies, different seminars you can go to in person and online. And you can, you can download a certificate if you need to, and, you can, and that might help with your insurance. You never know. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of different ways to try to maintain proficiency and make yourself a safer pilot without actually spending money and running the engine. And then there is that necessity that I really implore my students every you know four to six months, go out there with a the CFI, get in an airplane, go spin it. You don't have to go do five rotations. You don't have to go in a super decathlon or an extra 300 and go, go do crazy aerobatics. Go out there in a 172 that's approved for spins and just drop a wing. You know, yeah. Drop a wing, do half rotation know, recovery. Know what it feels like. Know what it feels Remember. like and right. practice recovering at the very first sign and get to the point where you can recover from a, a uncoordinated stall you know, or an incipient phase of a spin in less than 100 feet. You should be able to do that. Any private pilot with 50 hours more in their book can do that with the right training. So go out there and actually practice that. It could save your life one day. Well, and, and in fact, it could have uh, saved other people's lives. Even in the commercial airline world, we had, yes. had it was a terrible accident, a Colgan aircraft accident, mm-hmm. a number of years ago that changed the standards that we study for nowadays, too. And so if they were able to get out of that unusual attitude, things could have been different. No, certainly. And uh, that Colgan accident had a lot of implications on the uh, the aviation industry as a whole. It did. It uh, it led us to where we're at now, where you know, it used to be 250 hours you could go to the airlines. Now you need 1,500. And so that's led to a pilot shortage. Led to a pilot right. shortage. It's also led to higher wages for pilots. I went in in my first year as a first officer at the regional airline was a little bit over $50,000 in total compensation. A, a lot more than it had been, you know, in previous years. Right. Probably double what it had been up until then. There was a while, for a while, it was twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. And that's really hard to, to have a living wage on that and pay for your flight training that you had already amassed to that point. Yeah. And it's it doesn't quite seem right that somebody goes $100,000 into debt becoming a pilot, a very skilled technician, and and then to only compensate them 20, 30 grand a year. And even 50 grand a year, you know, it's great that they're making progress. For me, though, ultimately, I spent almost two years at the regional airline, and luckily, social media was getting busier. YouTube was getting busier. The website was getting very busy. We had over 10,000 students on our website enrolled in our courses, and we said, you know, okay, this is this is the make or break time. Am I going to be an airline pilot? I'm not really happy here. I'm not into the hotel life. I don't like, you know, going on these four-day trips and being away from family and friends. And, you know, it, it's a decent wage. There's a promise of a much better wage down the road, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Right. The, all this money on the table. But can I make a living and be happy? And quality of life, that word, you know, that phrase meant nothing to me the day I went to the airlines. It meant a lot to me six months later. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And and you really don't know until you live it. And I encourage people to, you know, if you're ever thinking about being an airline pilot, go try it. Try it for six months. You don't like it, quit. No harm, no foul. There's, that'll open up a lot of doors for you with that training, that jet time, to go be corporate, go back to being a CFI. And you can right. make a good living as an instructor. Well, you bring up a good point. The, cor- the corporate world is a whole nother environment. Yes. Non-government entities, that's a whole nother, nother environment. Missionary aviation work is a whole 
whole nother environment. And for folks who are not exactly pilots, or you know, we're of course we're pilots, and you've got a great ground school and, and great training. But there's also work in the IT world. Absolutely, there's weather. You know, people can study weather. They can mm-hmm. also be involved in aviation in a variety of different fields. Yes, uh, there's jobs here at AOPA. You could be Correct. a guy that runs a Hangar Talk podcast. That's right. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, so, we 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 welcome any and all takers. There is need some help. Yeah, there's an endless number of opportunities in aviation. Truly, an endless number of opportunities and an endless number of six-figure opportunities is how I describe it. Is you can make over 100 grand a year, which is a good living for you and your family, and you can have a good quality of life. You can sleep in your own bed every night. You can raise a family not via FaceTime. You don't have to be flying airplanes all over the world, you know, and being sitting on reserve in some random city. You can be home with your family and still fly aircraft or be a part of aviation. And the best thing, yeah, get in your private. Just that private pilot certificate opens up so many doors from there to either become instrument commercial or, you know, do something else in the aviation industry, but have that aviation background, that flight experience, air traffic control. There's an endless number of possibilities. Well, there's one thing you didn't mention, but as we were walking into the pot to our Ex- ex- extensively nice podcast studio here. Yes. Folks are probably laughing if they saw it. But, you know, you had to learn video production. Yes. You had to learn. You had your GoPros. Mm-hmm. You're a good pilot. You now had to learn cameras. You had to learn GoPros. I knew nothing about... Premiere, Adobe Premiere, things like that. Nothing about that, right. yeah. I knew nothing about video editing. I knew nothing about how to build a website. I was sitting in hotel rooms on my overnights after flying five legs for the day, watching YouTube tutorials on how to write PHP code and how to put together this website that people could actually complete a course and then get a certificate at the end of it. And so it was, you know, I was very determined to achieve that. And if you're determined to become a pilot or to become a YouTuber or to become somebody who runs a website or whatever it is, there's a number of avenues out there to do it. The first step is walk into your local airport, become a private pilot. It opens up so many doors and so many avenues in aviation to then pursue an aviation career, whether it's a website or YouTube or Instagram or flying corporate, flying an airline or whatever it might be. Now, you have a really good personality profile. I mean, you're an easy guy to talk to, that kind of Thank thing. You. Now, were you ever, uh, did you study education? Were you able, I mean, you're a CFI. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, some people can do that work and teach it well, and some people can perform it and not teach it well. How did you marry both? That's one of the things that I think everyone realizes, right, in aviation is we take these guys that are pilots with 250 hours, and they're they're good pilots. They're not necessarily as experienced as somebody with, you know, 5,000 hours. And then we make them an instructor, and they have they never wanted to be a teacher. They pursued aviation, a technical career. They didn't pursue education in college. Yeah, and so we don't always have the best teachers teaching aviation. Great pilots and all well-intentioned, but sometimes these guys become a flight instructor because they're just trying to build some time to get to the airlines. It's understandable. So for me, I was really interested in the education aspect of it, and I thought that the way things were taught to me, yeah, I understood them. It all worked out. I got my private, you know, passed my check ride, all great, but I thought it could be done better. And so I did spend a lot of time researching how do people teach courses? What do college professors do? What do kindergarten teachers do? Or how do? do people learn? How do people learn? How does the brain work? And spend a lot of time focusing on that. The fundamentals of instruction that you learn as a CFI, that's all fine and well. The FA puts that stuff out of how we should teach. It's all good information. But there's a lot more to it. And typically what I focus on most is, oh, probably sixth graders to 12th graders because, well, really, aviation is a new concept to you, and you might be teaching a 40-year-old, but if you treat them somewhere in that 6th to 12th grade range, that's pretty good, and that's not demeaning anyone. But if you treat them as you would teach a 6th to 12th grader, that's how people seem to learn best in the aviation world. It needs to be spelled out for them. A lot of weird terms, a lot of weird acronyms we have. Agreed. And a lot of weird definitions that we don't always do a good job explaining. So, yeah, I've constantly, and I do it regularly. I'm always looking for different ways to explain material, to do it faster, in a shorter amount of time, with less words, and convey more information. Basically, the KISS method, keep it simple. Absolutely. Keeping it simple and conveying the most amount of information with the least amount of time and effort so you can captivate the person's attention. And you can, ultimately, the definition of learning, right, change in behavior, you have to change someone's behavior. So how can I use my words in a short, effective manner to respect their time. You know, they have a family, they have kids, they have a job, and they're trying to learn how to fly, and I need to not take up too much of their time and not be billing them for a lot of time. So how can I convey this information and change their behavior, give them a new skill in a very short amount of time? And while you're doing that, you want to keep folks engaged. You want to make it fun, new, different, and exciting. 
Yeah, I took a comedy course by Steve Martin. Oh, nice. On, uh, to try to make myself funnier. <laughs> and just a little bits of humor here and there can help keep somebody sure, engaged. Sure, and help break the ice, too. Yeah. And, and, you know, people get wrapped up in aviation. And like you said, there are a lot of heavy terms. There's a lot of stuff that can go wrong that's real scary. We want to break it down bring it back to a basic level and still make it fun. We don't want to turn Absolutely. people away. One thing that I noticed as, um, as like an EAA chapter member back in Atlanta, I would go to these chapter meetings on, on Saturday, and the first thing that folks would say was, all these different ways you can get hurt in an airplane. Yeah. I think that's a turnoff. I think it's better to have be more inviting, be more open. And, you know, really, yeah, we need to know. We need yes. to know the, those details because they are important. But, look, let's open our arms to folks and not reject them right off the bat. No, absolutely. And right off the bat, I think having that sense of community is really important. When somebody walks up to the airport and they're looking around, you see them on the other side of the fence, you're pre-flighting your airplane, walk up to them. Hey, say, hey, man, are you a pilot? Oh, no, I, I just like airplanes. Oh, cool. Well, I'm going up. Why don't you hop in with me? You know, or if that's too weird for you, well, answer their questions. Let them look at your airplane. Show them how you pre-flight it and then say, hey, thanks so much. By the way, here's the card for the local flight school. Have a nice day. I don't, maybe you don't want to fly with them. That's okay, too. But we all are ambassadors for aviation. We should all be welcoming. And at some point, it is really important, probably around the time of solo or solo cross country and after the private to start talking about those more serious topics of, yeah, this is how this can kill you. But, yeah, it's important to realize that that's, that's not a likely outcome. It's not Flying is not defined as being risky. It's not risk-free. It's not totally safe. You know, there are some small risks involved, but safe does not mean risk-free. Flying is safe. It's not risk-free. It is safe. It's about risk management. And Absolutely. as you mentioned, the ASI, the Air Safety Institute, would tell us it's about risk management and knowing what's involved on each end of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and taking advantage of those things like the Air Safety Institute, taking advantage of, you know, YouTube videos, accident case studies, free courses on our website or AOPA's website or wherever you find them. You know, take advantage of those resources to try to make yourself more knowledgeable. The more knowledgeable you can make yourself and and understand that you get your private certificate, it's a license to learn. You don't know everything. You get your commercial certificate, it's a license to just learn a little bit more. You I still like don't know that. everything. I like what you just said. That's good. And you know, at age 20 when I got my private I knew everything. And sadly, now, eight years later, you know, I'm 28 years old, and I don't know. I guess I forgot to write it all down. Yeah. I don't know everything. I'm sure you knew everything when you were 20. My daughter's 16, and she knows it all right now, too, of course. Every single day I go fly, I learn a little bit more, and the more I learn— the biggest thing I learn every day is I don't know everything, and there's a lot more I don't know. I learn about all these things I don't know about, and it's not to be scared of those things or you know a reason not to fly. It's a reason just to study, ask questions, talk to your fellow pilots, and try to educate yourself and operate within your own limitations and understand what your limitations are. That makes sense. Well, John, you're up here on the East Coast, some of your old stomping grounds. Now, where does your where does your career take you from here, or in, let's just say in the immediate future? What are your goals from here moving forward for, say, 2020? Sure. So the 2020 goals, we'll, you'll find us all up and down the East Coast of the U.S., mostly between here, Maryland, and down to Florida now, working our way down to some warmer weather. And despite the scraping snows, just so, so fun off the airplane, we'd like to uh, be down in the sunshine. So we're working our way down to Florida. We'll be uh, filming, doing a lot more uh, educational videos, releasing those on YouTube throughout 2020. And we'll also be going back to Alaska to do some ski flying. We have a ski flying course coming out for 2020. We have a mountain flying course that we're working on right now. So a lot of mountain flying for us in 2020 as we finish up that online course to launch on our website. And uh, then you'll find us at Sun and Fun and up in Alaska for the summertime. We'll be instructing in Alaska. And tell us where you're based in Alaska. Based at Lake Hood. Based at uh, Lake Hood, Anchorage, Alaska. World's largest seaplane base and a ton of fun. Even if you don't plan to come to Alaska and do any flying, if you're curious at all about flying, if you're a private pilot and you go, oh, you know, Alaska's too much for me, I come to Alaska on a family vacation. It's a beautiful place. And you can take a discovery flight in Alaska, the same you can take a discovery flight in Tampa, Florida, or in Frederick, Maryland. You can rent a 172 in Alaska. Yeah, you need a little bit of background education, but take a CFI up with you and go flying. And there's so much to see up there. How I left the airline ultimately was... I wasn't super thrilled with the airline lifestyle. I didn't really think it was for me for the next 30 or 40 years. I was happy at the time, but 30 or 40 years didn't sound like, you know, it seemed like a long time. And I was saying, hey, there's got to be something better. I really enjoy teaching and instructing. And then I just happened to take a trip to Alaska. And as soon as I got into an airplane and lifted off and I saw a glacier from the air, that video is on YouTube. You can see my reaction. There might have been an expletive in there or something because I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a glacier. Like, yeah. Yeah, you see them on Discovery Channel. It's totally different to see it from an airplane in real life. And then of you can course. take the controls and fly over this thing. It's 
It's absolutely magnificent. It's an incredible place. Nature is is definitely a big attractor to Alaska. And so I was wondering how you ended up in Alaska. You went there just, uh, I guess, to check it out, and you just decided to stay. Well, and, and how I really ended up there, for those that watch our YouTube channel, you probably have seen Stephanie and I flying around a lot. And so Steph is my girlfriend. She was actually a student of mine that had come down and saw some YouTube videos and said, hey, while I was still at the airline, called me up, can I do some instrument instruction with you down in Venice, Florida? I'm going to be there over the holidays. I'd like to get some instrument instruction from you. I like your videos. Great. Yeah, sure. No problem. I'll be there over the holidays. We flew together and she went on and we did a few lessons. She went back to Alaska, got her instrument rating finally. And then about six months later, I said, hey, you know, I'm uh, going to be making a trip up to Alaska year round. Oh, yeah. You know, come up to Alaska. I'll show you around. So I got my own private tour guide. And I guess maybe something about flying around Alaska in a Cessna 170, landing on beaches, seeing bears, flying over glaciers. Somehow or another, we ended up dating. Um, And we've been together now for a little over a year, and we've been traveling the country together. She flies summer season up there as a 135 pilot, flying charter operations up there. And uh, I do a lot of flight instruction up there and a little bit of 135 stuff as well. So uh, summer season, you can find us in Alaska. And then after the summer season... I don't know. We don't have too many plans past October, but we'll probably be in Alaska from about April to October. So we got you covered on the East Coast right now during yes. the winter and early spring. Gonna we're gonna end up down at Sun and Fun. Yes, of course. You're gonna hit some of the other fly-ins, and we're looking at Air Venture as well. In, yep. Normally in in uh, July, AAPA has a couple of fly-ins coming up this year too. We got one in San Marco in Texas. San Marcos in Texas. Uh, we've got Casper, Wyoming. We've got Rochester, New York, where we'd hope to see at least one of those. Yeah, we will try to make it to one of those. And definitely folks can follow us on Instagram at Fly8MA, Flight Mike Alpha. And that's usually the most up-to-date with where we're at. Instagram and Facebook, you can follow our post of where we're at right now. All right. Well, John, we appreciate you stopping by Hangar Talk. I know that your time is precious. I know you've got some more videos to make. You are very enlightening to me and very encouraging to folks who listen to Hangar Talk and the next generation of potential pilots. And we want to encourage people to go to your website, fly8mikealpha.com, and they could get started. If they're not already pilots, they can get started with a free private pilot ground school course. You talked about your spin training course that's on there as well. They could sign up and get more access to more in-depth courses as well on fly8mikealpha.com. Yep. We've got private instrument, commercial, seaplane, tailwheel, all sorts of courses on there. Like we said, mountain flying and ski flying is launching this year as well. So yeah, any questions, they can always reach out to us. Any flight training questions, we're here as a resource. We don't charge anything. Pick up the phone, call us, numbers on the website, email us, whatever we can do to get more pilots in the air. It's AOPA's mission. It's our mission as well. So it's an awesome to uh, awesome to be here in Frederick and be a part of this. Thanks, John Kowicki. We appreciate you being on Hangar Talk. Now, you have an Instagram site as well? Yes, Flight Mike Alpha on Instagram, Fly8MA on Instagram. You can track us live there. All right, some exciting stuff. Thanks again for joining us on Hangar Talk. I hope you have a continued safe trip and a healthy new year. Thanks so much. So Dave, yeah, John's a really interesting guy. That that Bearhawk Patrol, that's that's quite a unique airplane, and I think it's just fantastic that he's especially offering that ground school for free. Yeah, I enjoy hearing about free ground schools. I think it's a good way to get people involved in aviation. And if they want to find out further and learn more, then John's got some paid courses that you can take. You know, take people all the way up from basically sport and recreational all the way through instrument, commercial, and CFI. All right. That's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twomley. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangartalk. We're also on the Apple Podcast and Google and on Spotify. All right. We'll see you next time. See you, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly. <laughs>